Hey there, listeners. Great to have you here on this episode whereby I interviewed a guy called David G. Ewing. And David shared with me a whole lot of stuff around leadership because you see, he's the founder of an organization called Motiv. And it's already a cutting edge firm that specializes in Oracle CX solutions, a technology company. And David is also whereby, you know, he's the founder of the organization, but also he's the CEO and has a passion for leading with heart and sharing his experiences, fostering deep relationships with others through his humor and captivating storytelling. Now, he's also the EO president, which is Entrepreneurs Organization for Austin as a city, leading over 200 entrepreneurs in all sorts of different industries. But David and I talked about change your leadership style and elevate your game. And he also talked about that make more leaders around you. And that's what we need to do as leaders, is make more leaders around us. And so one thing I loved that he talked about was change the attitude, change the behaviors, and get different results or get the results that you want. And so he talked about that and he talked about something called locus of control. And so pretty cool interview that I had with him. So sit back or do whatever you're doing, but enjoy the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us today. And I've got a great guest with me. His name is David G. Ewing. And David, a massive welcome to you. Hey, thanks, Dennis. It's great to be here. David, whereabouts in the world are you today? Today, I happen to be in Austin, Texas, which is a home headquarters for me. Home headquarters. I love Texas. It's an awesome place. And I would highly recommend to our listeners, if you have not visited Texas, you've got to go. It's great. And uh, there are certain places I really like, and Austin's one, Houston, and Dallas as well. But uh, yeah, great place to be. But anyhow, I'm sort of biased, I think. Well, thanks, Dennis. Yeah, the word Texas actually means friends. And uh, what I found, because uh, I'm not a native Texan, is that you don't have to be from Texas to be for Texas. There you go. That's good. Yeah, very good. Now, I've given the uh, audience or our listeners a little bit of a background in the show opening, but what I'd love to do is hear a little bit more about David and a little bit more about your background. I'd like to share us, because I also think that you're the founder of an organization called Motive, and you're also the Austin EO president. So what we'd like you to do is share a little bit more about your background, a little bit about the organization, and also a little bit about EO. Yeah, sure. So I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and both of my parents were entrepreneurs. So I was very lucky that I had kind of a couple of role models that, that really kind of modeled risk, appropriate risk behavior and, and how to take good risks and balance risk and reward. And I think that stuck with me from a young age. I, I graduated from Harvard University and, and then I went to Silicon Valley after that and started working in consulting. Very quickly, I, I realized that there was a, a real gap of leadership and in, amongst my class, and, and there was an opportunity there for me to lead a bunch of organizations right out of college that, that was actually quite interesting. And then from there, 
I went to a tech startup and it was way, way too much like the TV show, Silicon Valley. I still can't watch that show. It's too soon. And then, and then when I was 24, I started the company that became Motive. And I started it really with the idea that I wanted to continue to deliver strategy to my clients, but I really wanted to find a way to make the meter move. So at age 24, I set out on that grand quest. I hired my first employee on September 10th, 2001. So started making payroll on 9-11, which was interesting. And, and then have built the company that has become Motive brick by brick from there. That's where I've come from. Funny how you mentioned that, you know, the Silicon Valley side of things and, you know, like the TV program as well and how it works, but there's been a lot of organizations like that too. Even if you think about Build and Dave from Hewlett and Packard side of things, right? I mean, that's how they were too. They started in a little garage and things moved on from there. So it's pretty cool to see organizations that start very small from nothing to then start to flourish as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, no shortage of inspiration there for sure. And your organization, I understand, is so you focus on specialize in Oracle CX solutions. Is that correct? Yeah. We believe that customers have a choice about the attitude they take to anything that happens. And as a company trying to grow, get referrals, and build a relationship with their customers, if you can first change their attitude, then you'll change their behavior. And if you can change their behavior, you can get the result that you're looking for. And so everything that we do, every system that we put in place, everything that we uh, orchestrate and train on is really about how to take the moments that matter with customers and really turn it from a negative moment to a positive moment. And if you can do that, then you can get the customer loyalty that you're looking for, even in today's jaded age. And I quite like what you just said there about changing the attitude, then you can change the behaviors, then you get the different results, which is a good way of saying it as well. Now, you also are the Austin EO president. Tell us a little bit more about EO. So EO is a global organization. EO stands for Entrepreneurs Organization, and it has a mission, and that is to unlock the potential of every entrepreneur. So there are 235 chapters around the world. Every country has at least one chapter, and there are 18,000 entrepreneurs in those chapters. So it's an, a global organization that has local and regional chapters that allow entrepreneurs to come together. So we're about to have a big jamboree for the entire central region of the United States up in Detroit. And then in Austin, we have 215 members that are members of our Austin chapter. And so it's a real chance for entrepreneurs to learn from one another, to pool their resources around training and growth and to develop themselves as, a, as better people, as well as better entrepreneurs. Excellent. Is there a criteria for you to be part of, to be part of that organization as well? Yeah, you have to be a founder. So you can't, you know, nothing wrong with people who have a, a business that they were, you know, inherited. But if you're, if you inherit the business, you, you don't qualify, you have to, and you can't be a hired CEO, you have to be a founder. And the other criteria is that you have to have over a million dollars in revenue to join EO. And some chapters have an even higher threshold. So Austin, for example, you have to have a, over $2 million in revenue to to join EO Austin. Yeah, cool, cool. And I think we've got a chapter here in New Zealand. That's a couple of wonderful yeah, chapters. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Cool, cool. Very good. Alrighty, so tell us a little bit more about your background. What else have you done? What else have you you've got and do you like to share with us? Well, you know, the start of leadership for me is kind of funny because I went to this American high school that was famous for football and I had some really great guys on the team with me, but I was a nerdy, studious one. And the coach was this incredibly intimidating, but 
really wonderful man who was kind of like the godfather straight out of the movie. And he looked at me one day and he said, you know, you seem like a smart kid. You know, can you, can you take the notes? And I was like, notes for what coach? And he said, well, we're going to have a leadership awareness class and I want somebody to take notes. And so what that turned into was he had four 6 a.m. sessions where everybody drove in and got to school at 6 a.m. And he had some amazing guest speaker come and talk about leadership to a bunch of 14 to 18 year olds. And, and for, it turned out that for four years, I, I took all the notes and uh, there were some amazing people that came through there. So professional football players, college players, but also civic leaders, media folks, alumni that were distinguished, lots and lots of different people. And, and after four years of taking notes on leadership, there's kind of some formative time. It, it really taught me a lot about what I was, what I should be doing. And of course it taught me a lot about what I wasn't doing along the way. Um, because I certainly made plenty of mistakes, but you know, it was a strong foundation. And I think that's what really kind of gave me the, uh, the impetus to, to study leadership and to consider myself a leader and to continue to strive and grow as. Yeah, cool. And so that's how you got into leadership as well, is it? I mean, you, you could study it and learn it, but did you, what else got you into leadership and business side of things? What else did you do? Well, you know, there's that Yogi Berra saying that, you know, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. And I think what I've learned pretty early, in fact, I remember, I think I was in my second year of high school, they put me in charge of, of a junior varsity team and I just made an absolute mess of it. Uh, it was an absolute, I think all the kids on the team hated me uh, by the time they, they were all my friends before the season started and they hated me by the end of the season and I really made a mess of that. And so I started to realize early on that, yeah, there's a pretty big gap between theory and practice. And so it was something that I kind of got excited by. And to, to me, when I went off to college, I think what I noticed was that it was a chance to start over. It was a chance to wipe the past clean, which was a welcome opportunity for me where I'd made a mess of things. And so I got a chance to do that, make some different choices and, and come out of college with a, a dramatically different result, which was refreshing. And I think that every single time I've had a chance to make a, a life change, of course, the next big change in life is your first job. It's just amazing what you can do when you have that clean start. And if you are really thinking about from a leadership perspective, you can really change your leadership style and really elevate your game because you're not trapped by your previous bad decisions. And, and it really, it, for me, it was kind of very liberating to do that and make those big moves. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite good. There's actually a documentary here. I think it's called Chase Greatness. I think it is, or Chase Great. And it's the old or the ex New Zealand All Blacks rugby captain who became world champion a couple of times. And he talked about how he would reset before every match. And so it was really quite interesting. And so it's like a bit like a clean start, as you say. You didn't have to have that baggage from other games as well. It was always a clean start. Now, when you mentioned Yogi Bear, I thought, whoa, he just did the coach, the, like the Godfather's voice. He's going to do the Yogi Bear voice as well. <laughs> so, no, that one no. I'm definitely not going to do. For yeah, enough. you know, the idea of letting your past go is, I think, a prerequisite for good leadership because nobody, I don't believe that there's such a thing as a, a natural born leader. I, I just fundamentally don't believe it because I've never seen one. I've seen lots of great leaders, but if I really get to know them, they're as human as the rest of us and they've had their mistakes as well. And so to be a great leader, I think you have to start as a bad one. And the only way you're going to get better is to forgive yourself for your incredibly bad mistakes and then step up and try again. And when you do that, you can let go of the past, then you can change it and take a, a fresh approach. And uh, I think that's, I, I've had to do that multiple times 
in my leadership journey in order to kind of find the thing that works for me. Yeah. And then learn from your mistakes, right? And then, so that becomes a foundation. You can build on that and then you grow and grow and then take from there and you still will not be perfect. Um, but it's about willingness to, to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Now this person could be alive or from history. So David, who's your favorite leader and why? You know, I thought about this question because I listened to several episodes of your podcast and I, I have two. Am I allowed two? Can I give you two? Yeah, All right. sure. Okay. All right. So, so I narrowed it down to two. The first one is a woman who lived in the United States in the American South before the Civil War. No education, couldn't read or write, and she was black. And, and she was a slave and she escaped and went to the North and decided that it was just such an intolerable condition that she would become part of the American, you know, the Underground Railroad and to ferry people back from the South and help escape slaves, make it to the North. Her name was Harriet Tubman. And the thing that I really admire about Harriet Tubman was just her incredible determination to do something when really nothing on her resume would have indicated that she had the capability to do that. There's you know, no education, no ability to even read street signs. And yet here she is risking her lives going back into a deep South where, you know, had she been caught, the ramifications would have been horrible. And in her several years of running the Underground Railroad, she never, ever lost a single passenger. Not one person that decided to escape ever failed to escape under her watch, but she did some incredibly draconian things. Like, for example, when people would get cold feet and say, you know, actually, I think I need to go back. She knew that it was too late. And if they went back, they'd be tortured and, and all of their contacts, resources, and locations would be given up. So she, she'd pull out a, a pistol and put it right in their face and say, you know, dead people don't tell any tales and, you know, and convince them to stay. And by, by making sure that there was no turning back, she made sure that the organization stayed intact. And I think that kind of level of determination is something that's so hard to grasp to have that willingness to do something like that for your cause that I can't help but just admire the steel in her spine to go along with everything else that she had. So Harriet Tubman, definitely one of my top heroes for just the, the sheer determination and grit. But, you know, talking about that idea of letting go of your past and, and starting over again, one of the, the people that I'm always in, in awe of is someone who is definitely probably not a first pick for many people. And that's Erwin Rommel, the former Nazi general who is the desert fox in the beginning of World War II. And the reason I admire him so much is obviously not because he was a Nazi, but because after two years of, you know, running things for the Third Reich, he realized he was on the wrong side. And I think a lot of us get into situations sometimes, and it's that old story about the lobster and the pot where you didn't know what you were getting into when you get into it. And then all of a sudden you're there and you realize, oh my gosh, this is horrible and I'm on the wrong team. And so what do you do in a situation like that? And, and if you're Erwin Brommel, what you do is you join the resistance and you come up with a plot to assassinate Hitler. And unfortunately for him, it failed and it cost him his life. But, you know, the conviction to, to, you know, undo the behavior of, and, and his past of what he'd done and the commitments he'd made and reverse himself that had to have been incredibly difficult. And, you know, the courage of his conviction is something that I, I just can't help but admire. Yeah. Amazing. Both of them are great stories that you've just shared there. Uh, great examples. Thanks. So here's another question for you. Now you choose which one of the two. So if you were sitting on a park bench with one of them and having a coffee, what would be one question you would love to ask them? 
I think I can identify with her a little bit more. And, and I think the thing is, the question I would ask her is, when would it have been enough? You know, you go into the deep South to go rescue people and you come back and you do that multiple times and the risk is there. And she's obviously a wise person, though she never got any education. She had to know that sooner or later, you keep doing something like that, your number is going to come up. And so, you know, is there a point where it's enough or is that, is it, is that the reason she's alive? And, and I, I would love to know more about that. Like what is, where does her dedication end in her real life begin? Because now it's easy to see her as this iconic figure, right? But you know, she was a real flesh and blood person who I'm sure had all sorts of flesh and blood, you know, desires and needs to just live a normal life like the rest of us. And so how does she divvy that out? That's the question I'd want to know. Yeah. Amazing. I would love to know the question, the answer to that question now. I think it's a really good one, but when would it be enough? Yeah. Good question. Alrighty. So with where the title of the show is called leadership is changing. When we talk about that title or statement, what does it mean for David? What it means for me is that I think that there are some parts of leadership that will always be the same. I think human nature will always be the same, but the conditions under which everybody is involved are changing enough that I think that's the part that we need to focus on. And let me give you a specific example. More and more, we have a safety net underneath us and thank God, right? Like, you know, we have insurance, we have, you know, government social welfare programs in every state and country and we in the West at least. And, you know, these things allow us to make sure that you know, we're always kind of taken care of. And the more we're taken care of, the more that I think what happens is we start to see the world as a place where it happens to us. And it's not such a bad thing, right? Like the world takes care of us, then the government takes care of us. Our parents take care of us that, you know, there's, you know, people obsess over their kids and, you know, make sure that they're okay. And I mean, I'd wrap mine in bubble wrap if I could, but, but, you know, the downside of that is that when you believe the world influences you and not you shaping the world, then you know, there's a term for it. And I think that I've heard it called the locus of control. And so it's this belief that the locus of control is outside. And anybody who is a leader can't be a successful leader unless they're making more leaders around them. I mean, that is the number one job of every leader is to make more leaders. And when you have people who have a locus of control outside, then you're doomed to fail because they you can give them all the autonomy in the world. You can say, I'm not going to micromanage you and go forth and prosper and make it happen. And they will utterly fail. Hmm. And it's not because they're not intelligent. It's not because they lack, you know, work ethic or moral character or any of those other things. It's because they simply are waiting for someone to tell them what to do. And, and that breaks down, right? You can only give orders to so many people. I think it's probably six or eight, and then you're out of people that you can give orders to, right? So, so getting the locus of control back inside someone is a difficult but not impossible task. And I think that when I look at anyone, whether it's another fellow entrepreneur at the Entrepreneurs Organization or employee at Motive, or I also, I coach my son's robotics team and I get a fresh new crop of, of freshmen that join the team every year. I look first at the locus of control and where is it? And there's so many easy tells that you can find as to, to see that. And I'll tell you one that I, I hear all the time in, in business which is if I hear the phrase, I was told that, or we were told that, I go, that's somebody with a locus of control, it's the outside. And until I can get that locus of control inside, 
there's very little I can do to develop that person. And so that's usually the thing. So, so as leadership changes, I think that is the thing that we're always fighting is an outside locus of control. The other thing though, that I think is also there is that I think that anytime you're in a leadership position, you're in a position of power. And we've just seen so many stories in the media who I think accurately have represented people in power who've abused that relationship, who have taken advantage of those that they were entrusted to. And I think that I approach every situation where I just assume now that I'm not on solid ground, that whoever I'm working with until proven otherwise, I'm guilty until I can prove myself innocent, that I'm a, a decent, trustworthy stand-up person who's going to do the right thing and do the right things by my team. And I think that requires a level of patience that I, I quite frankly, sometimes lack. And, and, you know, being able to take the time to, to build the trust with every single person that's in my inner circle at my company takes time and it takes effort. And, you know, you want to always go forward and like race down the road and do the amazing thing and come up with the cool strategy and launch the product and do all that stuff. But if you don't stop and take the time to just break bread with people and make sure that they know that you're okay, you never get there. And I think those are the two things to me that as leadership changes, those two things are in question. And that's what I focus on right now the most. Yeah. Both of them are great. Well done. Thanks for sharing it because I think that uh, we need to understand what this all means for us as well. And even just the fact of breaking bread with people and being with them and building relationships is really good. But I love what you shared about you shape the world. You're shaping the world. You decide what you need to do. And developing more leaders around us. I mean, I don't know whether you'll see this in, in the organization that you, know, you lead or EO side of things too. How many times have we heard the story, I invested so much into them and then they left and then yeah. leaders get upset about that. What are your thoughts about what they should really be thinking when that happens? You know, the, it's not my idea, but I, I saw a counter to that somewhere that says, what if you don't invest anything in them and they stay, Yeah, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's always the thing. I mean, look, I, I go back to the Harriet Tubman idea of her risking her life for her cause, right? Her beliefs. And so when you have a business, obviously one of the core things about every business is to make money. There's nothing wrong with that, but we're all doing something because it was our choice that this was the way we were going to make money. And so when you invest in someone and then they leave, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it hurts. But what was your bigger cause as a leader? And if it was to make more leaders and you did that, then you can't be completely upset or you shouldn't be. And you should give yourself a pat on the back for developing another self-starter, another leader and making the world a better place. And I think that's important to recognize because I have been that person. I have been there when someone that I spent you know, blood, sweat and tears on then picked up and left and went to my competitor and, and that hurts. And it takes some time and some patience to get the grace to come back and say, but I made that person better and I made the world a better place as a result. Yeah, that's part of our success stories, even though it does hurt, as you say, right? And, but yeah, yeah, that's what our role is as leaders to do, is to develop other people for the future, just like we were developed for what we are doing today. Yeah. We're living in a world that seems to be getting faster. It's like that fast-paced, ever-changing world, whether it be in business, data, technology, social side of things. What makes a leader successful in, to, in today's fast-paced, ever-changing world? I think there's two things that I keep coming back to that you can't automate. So there's a lot you can automate, right? And one of the things I was thinking about the other day is 
uh, you know, I was playing around with Mid Journey. Have you ever played around with Mid Journey? Do you know what it is? No. Yeah. Mid Journey is this it's you register, you spend your $10 a month, and you can say, you can put in a description for any kind of image you could possibly imagine, right? You can, it, it, the sky is the limit. And within one minute, it produces a photorealistic image of that. So uh, somebody showed it to me. He was doing a, a marketing campaign and he said, I want uh, a monkey in a tuxedo cinematic and uh, you know in a ballroom and we put it into mid journey and in one minute we have this wonderful image and it ties into his whole campaign and it was really funny and, uh, and it was great so you look at that and you go oh no what if you're in graphic design does that mean that your life is over and that no one will ever love you again because we can now do graphic design with mid journey and the answer is no actually quite the opposite because the thing that you need as a leader going forward is you still need to have the imagination or some people call it the vision to do something with it, right? So we are now at a point today, not tomorrow or in the future, where you can get any image you want in one minute. So what image do you want? What's going to be so amazing that it's going to be the caption, the thing that draws people's attention to what your, to your product or to your cause. And that bit of knowledge is the is the fundamental thing that you need as a leader. So I think that the more we automate some of the technical aspects of what it is that we need to do, the even greater need there is for vision and for imagination, because that's the one thing that it seems we can't quite get from AI or from any of these fast paced technologies. And so as a leader, more than ever, being able to imagine and then convey what's in your imagination to everyone around you is the key. Like that mid journey is a perfect example. I can imagine something in my mind, but if I can't describe it, then I can't get mid journey to make it right. And if that's true in business, you can envision this amazing business, but if you can't describe and get others around you, i.e. lead them to what it is that you need to do. I don't care if the intelligence is artificial or real, you won't get there. And so that part is the most important thing, I think. And it will become more and more so as the need to be technically proficient uh, will, you know, will fall away. The idea of charting the course will always be there. The chart of anticipating what's coming next will be there and being able to motivate people to go where you think the world needs to go is not going to change. That will be the constant. And that's what we'll need to work on. So do you think that the ability to be able to communicate well, articulate and use storytelling maybe as an example to get that vision across to people is going to be more important than ever? It's not only that, that's certainly true, but I think it's also, can you be authentic? Mm. You know, can you be genuine and can people feel that what you're asking to do is, is clear and it has a compelling purpose and that it's more than just self-serving, right? Like we can talk all day long about a profit goal and that's great. But I think what, re what you find is that when we're all striving for the goal for the month or the quarter is that it's the fact that we get there as a team. That's just as, if not more rewarding than hitting the number itself and everybody getting their incentive, right? So, so getting that to happen and making that connection with people, that's what really, I think, drives people forward. And so, so that's what we need to be. That, that is really exciting. That is really quite cool to the way that you've actually articulated and told us about that, because I think it's so, so strong. And if you can get good at doing this team, say like team listeners. This is something that's going to really help you in your leadership and in, in life as well, which is good. So David, 
We've been talking about leadership through the lens as a leader. If we were to swap lenses now and start thinking from an employee's perspective, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? This is one that I struggle to answer because, you know, when I was an employee, I always had this vision that I would be employed for a very short period of time. I wanted to get out and, and start my own thing, probably because my parents were both entrepreneurs and I just felt like that's where I should be. So I took the job to learn. And I think if you're, if you are an employee, if you're not, you know, running your own company, there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. But it's important to think of yourself, uh, almost as if I don't care how long you've been at the company, you're a freelancer because you could walk out tomorrow. So what are you doing? Why is this the right path for you and your life? And if you bring that locus of control inside and say, Hey, I'm going to shape the world around me. There's nothing wrong with shaping the world around you while you work at someone else's company. That's totally great. In fact, I think if in the right company, I would love to do that. But you know, the idea is, is that you have to then own the experience and take control of it. And I think that's no different than if you're in the CEO seat or if you're in the number two or three seat, or if you're controlling a division or a department or even a small unit team, you have to control the world around you. And you at least have to have some kind of reason to get up in the morning to go after something that you feel is bigger than yourself. Yeah. And David, I think there's a lot of people out there today who have jobs, but they're not sure why they're, they're there. Because it's a job. I'm, I'm getting paid. So I'm getting some money in. But they're not actually living their full potential possibly. And so I think for a lot of them, they're in what I call autopilot. They're not doing what they're doing. They're not yeah. being deliberate. That's the thing they need to be is being deliberate and taking control back. And then there are people who are overwhelmed and there's so much going on for them. But once again, they feel like they're out of control, but they need to take control back. Interesting, eh? You know, I think where that comes to for me is that we're either going to have regrets about the things that we did do or regrets about the things we didn't do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with regret, by the way. I think I have tons of regrets. There's things I wish I did. There's things I wish I hadn't done. Uh, I regret them all. These people who say I live with no regrets, I don't know who they are or how they do that, but that, that's not me. I'm always evaluating what I'm doing and realizing I could have done it better. And, and therein lies the, the need for regret. The thing that I kind of look at though, is that whatever position you're in, if you're, if you're doing something like Harriet Tubman had a job, she didn't care much about it, but her purpose in life was, you know, all about the times where she just left the job and, and went off and, and did her thing. That that's totally fine. I think that's, that's all right. But to me, the idea is what I'm trying to do now at my core is trying to make sure that I can live with my future regrets. I know I will have them, but I sure want to make certain that the regrets that I have aren't because I didn't go for the thing that I wanted and at the same time that I wasn't reckless about it as well. So it's a fine line to walk, but I think that's the key thing is you're sitting there kind of going, why do I have the job that I have? you know, fast forward and imagine yourself 20 years from now, what are you going to regret? And if you think you're going to regret something, boy, it's time to make yep. the change now, you know, because it's time's not slowing down. And it's, it's now for it to happen now. Don't wait because time says, you say, it's just going to fly by. Yep. Yeah. Talking about time, if I was to get yeah. you to get your crystal ball out right now and think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think that leadership in five years will continue to re revolve around helping people see their locus of control. I think leaders always have to do one thing and that is make more leaders. There's there, that's just that 
mentality is, I think, the, the number one thing you can do as a leader. And I think it's, it is completely self-serving, even if a percentage of them leave, because while they're with you on your cause, you're going to get so much more out of having a fellow leader nearby than you are from the world's greatest follower, because the world's greatest follower takes too long to manage. And, and even a moderate leader is going to help you make decisions and you can just make sure they're going to make decisions that you can count on. And I, I will admit, I am a recovering control freak. So it is hard for me to do that, but I have found that the only antidote to control freaking is making sure that I can teach the people around me to lead the way that I want them to lead. And that has been the one antidote that has helped. So, so I think that, yeah, what are we going to see in five years? We're going to see the need to make more leaders. What are the challenges we're likely to see at that point? I think it's going to be locus control and integrity. I think those are the two things that we constantly have to work on because you can get AI to, to answer a bunch of technical problems for you. That's awesome. You can hire people that, you know, you don't need the A, you can just have the I and you can solve problems. That's great. But if you don't know where you're going and no one believes in the solid ground that you're putting underneath your feet to get there, you got no shot. And that's what uh, a leader's got to be able to do. So, David, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for joining us. Um, if our listeners wanted to get hold of you, where, where should they go? The number one way to get hold of me is at my company website, which is motivecx.com. That's motive without an E, so M-O-T-I-V, cx.com. Or uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, my LinkedIn is David G. Ewing. So it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash David G. Ewing. Awesome. We'll put those into the show notes. The listeners can refer to that, so that'd be good to, for them to do that. But once again, David, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. So thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you, Dennis. It's been a pleasure. There you go, listeners. Well, your role is to actually go out there and make more leaders. We're talking about locus control and integrity. So go ahead and have a listen to this episode once again if you need to. But if you can change attitudes and if you can change behaviors, then you're going to get different results for sure. There you go. It's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 